0: Armored cars and tanks and guns came to take away our sons, but every man will stand behind the men behind the wire. Armored cars and tanks and guns came to take away our sons, but every man will stand behind the men behind the wire. Through the little streets of Belfast In the dark of Ernie morn Pretty soldiers came marauding Wrecking little homes with scorn Heedless of the crying children Dragging fathers from their beds Feeding sons while helpless mothers Watched the blood pour from their heads Armoured cars and tanks and guns Came to take away our sons But every man will stand behind The men behind the wire not for them a judge or jury, nor indeed a crime at all. Being Irish means they're guilty, so we're guilty one and all. Round the world a the will echo, Cromwell's men are here again. England's name again is sullied in the eyes of honest men. Armoured cars and tanks and guns came to take away our sons. But every man will stand behind the men behind the wire. Proudly march behind our banner, firmly stand behind our men. We will have them free to help us build a nation once again. On the people, march together, proudly, firmly on your way. Never fear and never falter, till the boys are home to stay. Armoured cars and tanks and guns came to take away our sons. But every man will stand behind the men behind the wire. Armored cars and tanks and guns came to take away our sons. But every man will stand behind the men behind the wire. But every man will stand behind the men behind the wire.
1: That's just a compilation of some of the horrific scenes that we have seen this year and last year. And tonight I'm really delighted to be joined by a man who has certainly helped me on my journey of of understanding as to what has happened to the Irish people. And I know that he has helped so many Christians and Catholics and atheists around the world to understand what is happening now. So I'm going to bring Dr. E. Michael Jones into the studio now. Good evening, Dr. Jones, how are you doing?
2: Good, Gemma, good to be here. Good to be in Ireland, at least virtually.
1: Well, this is it. We were just talking about your grandfather being the first person to well, not not now, obviously, immigrate.
2: Right, our... <laughs> immigration <laughs> wasn't a mass phenomenon back then. No, it, was, it wasn't. My grandfather it was my great grandfather who came, came from Wales. That's why I have the name Jones. But my grandfather came from uh, Mallow near Cork.
1: Fantastic. And what? When did he leave for the United States?
2: Nineteen hundred. 1900s. That's when you, he arrived in Philadelphia. Oh.
1: So you do have Irish and German blood.
2: That's right. It's classic second generation American where the uh, as the, th- the first generation is all Irish on one side and all German on the other, and then they marry in the second generation. But they're all Catholic. They all married. Uh, all six of my grandfather's children all married Catholics.
1: Did they
2: really? Yeah, that's that's the theory of the triple melting pot. And that, I think, is the true description of ethnicity in the United States of America, which is a complicated phenomenon because of their migration. But it's basically that after three generations, no matter where you come from, uh, you end up being one of three groups um, which are based on religion, Protestant, Catholic, and Jew. And that was formulated uh, between 1930s 1950s, uh, and obviously the uh, the Jews have orchestrated mass migration from non-European countries to uh, dilute that fact, and the the point of that is then to make race the the their designated identity factor uh, and erase ethnicity, and that's the story that I told uh, in my book. Uh, uh, the slaughter of cities, urban renewal as ethnic cleansing. The story of all those ethnic neighborhoods that were destroyed by social engineering uh, in America during the fifties uh, and sixties and seventies.
1: Well, that that's what we really, I really do want to focus on because um, Mike, when you look at that video there, did you ever think it would be possible for a man an Irish man to be sitting, swimming, going after a swim, and that he would just walk off with two Gardaí, two police officers, taking him. Um, what has happened to the Irish man? What has happened to the Irish people? I know it's a big question, but you can answer it. I know you have the answer.
2: Yeah, I, if, if if you would ask me like 10 years ago, what's the most like likely candidate... Which country in Europe is the most likely candidate to become a police state? Ireland would not have occurred to me. And there was the man standing there with holding a, a, a banner saying no police state. It's happened. Ireland is the most brutal police state in Europe right now. And the question is, how did that happen? And it happened um, because of a lot of factors. And one of them is basically no one understood what was going on or to te- let's take a step back here and talk about uh, the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church simply did not and does not understand psychological warfare. It doesn't understand how cultural warfare is being waged in our day. It dip- simply does not know. And so Catholic countries like Ireland were vulnerable. They were completely vulnerable. And then you add to that the uh the overlay of political conservatism OK, uh, another American invention that gets exported to the rest of the world because the, of the American empire. And conservatism says, well, we have to fear government. Well, <laughs> that's not the problem. it's certainly not the problem in Ireland. and It's not the problem in Indiana. Government is the solution to the problem. And the problem is the fact that you have private sector actors that have gotten so powerful that they are stronger than government. And, I'm t- and this is particularly apropos uh, of Ireland because Ireland was conquered by Google. Ireland was conquered by, um, by the pharmaceutical companies, which have now have become even more relevant because of the COVID lockdown. COVID is now the uh, state-of-the-art revolution, the state-of-the-art warfare against the entire human race at this moment. And nobody was prepared for this. The church was completely unprepared most recently uh, simply by the fact that the church accepted the definition of big pharma of a vaccine. This thing that's being pushed on the entire world is not a vaccine. It's some type of genetic manipulation uh, and yet the church has all these moral theologians beginning their, their, their syllogisms with the fact that it's a vaccine and they come to the wrong conclusion. So everyone was taken by surprise. And Ireland, uh, especially, Ireland was no exception to that rule. And, 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 and the, the assault, so, to, so what, 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 you should, what everyone should have been about doing is watching what happened in America and Germany right after the war. Because that was the beginning of social engineering. That's where it came from. Or Sweden would have been a good example. What happened in Sweden? Because they were all tied in together, especially if you take uh, film into account. Uh, Film was extremely important in destroying the the social order of the United States of America. The, the, The Jews created Hollywood. They caused all sorts of problems in the 1920s in America. Everyone was upset about the the subversion of morals that was coming out of Hollywood at that time. And the Protestants tried to rein them in. And then it was the Catholics turn. And the Catholics basically uh, forced the Jews to accept an agreement uh, that was known as the production code. And that meant no nudity, no blasphemy, no ridiculing of the clergy. And they did this because the Jews were on the ropes at that point because of the Depression. They had invested heavily in talking pictures. The Depression, uh, the stock market crashed in 1929, and people were not going. They didn't have money, so they're not going to the movies. And at that point, the Catholic Church moved because they understood who the enemy was. They didn't have any illusions uh, about uh, dialogue at that point. The dialogue that took place was basically, if you don't accept the code, we're going to boycott your theaters. And Card- it was the it was the Irish. The Irish were the dominant figures in the American church at that point, and it was Cardinal Dougherty in Philadelphia who imposed the boycott uh, in, in, of well, Warner Brothers theaters in Philadelphia and Harry Warner. Uh, was losing a hundred thousand dollars a week in Philadelphia alone. Now that's 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 real money because we're talking 1933 dollars. That's a lot of money. And this uh, boycott threatened to to move to expand because every big city in America was in the same situation. They had Catholic ethnic neighborhoods. They had a coherent sense of themselves. Even if they couldn't talk to each other, they still they still had a sense that they were Catholic and they were ready to join the boycott, and the Jews backed down. It was that simple. And for 31 years, they with the United the, the bishops, the Catholics held them in line. And then in 65, they broke the code. And that was the year of the end of the Vatican Council. And they broke the code. The Jews broke the code with a Holocaust porn film called the uh, Porn pornbroker. And from that point on, they have they marched through the institutions, and it's been one defeat after another. Uh, contraception, abortion, the constant, up to gay marriage. And they bragged about it all along the way. And the church simply can't. So so, um, a a, a lady uh, writes in Tikkun magazine that uh, if it weren't for the Jews, we wouldn't have gay marriage. Didn't the church read that magazine? Don't we read these, these things? Don't we see what's going on? They're telling us what they're doing. Why aren't we reacting to what they're doing? Well, we're not because the church simply is incapable, has been incapable to this point, to understanding the war that is being waged against its own people. So now you have the the, the specter of the, the Cardinal supich of Chicago how, holding a, a joint press conference with some Jewish organization saying, we have to fight anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is a completely phantom issue OK, it means basically something that Jews don't like. Just to give you some indication of what this is like, the Irishman Sean Hannity, the conservative Irishman at Fox News, has been accused of being an anti-Semite after 20 years of licking the boots of people like Benjamin Netanyahu. So it's a complete, it's a moral panic that is completely out of control. So how do the Catholic bishops react? They say, well, we have to fight anti-Semitism. Wait a minute. What about the people whose careers are ruined because they're accused of being anti-Semites. What about those people? What about defending the Catholic people? And now we're coming to the big, like the big issue. What is the big issue? The big issue is basically over this period of time, because of conservatism, because conservatism said, all we had to do was worry about government. What happened is the government completely shriveled up and died. And it no longer represents the people of the United States, of Ireland, of, base, of France, of any country in the world that I can see. Because money gets you into political office. And at that point, you vote for the people who give you the money and against the people who are your constituents. That's the situation we're in now. In some sense, Ireland is the worst example that I can think of. Okay. Yeah.
1: It is. And I mean, you know, I, I don't necessarily want this to be about the, the Jews per se, because it's not, I know it is relevant in that, you know, Zionism controls everything. They control the media. They can, they, you know, it's the Kalergi plan. I mean, I remember Mike talking about the Kalergi plan about two years ago. I don't know where you stand on that, but about an hour later, I was trending in Israel. You know for all the wrong reasons because I had dared to suggest that unfortunately communism does have its roots in Judaism and you know we have to remember as Christians um, why our Lord died he had to die but I certainly don't believe that there were chosen people and um, under any circumstances everybody can be saved not only the Jewish people and that was a message of Jesus Christ so, um, you know, we pray that Jews and Muslims and Buddhists will come to the true faith, the Catholic faith, the Christian faith, because that is the only way that they can enter the kingdom of heaven. It is the only way that they can be saved. Um, we try and pray for their conversion. But the the, the Jewish angle isn't hugely relevant in Ireland uh, to most people, I think but certainly when you discuss sexual liberation, which I know you would say was driven by Zionism, that is what has really destroyed the soul of this country because My people look back, they're told now by the fake news mainstream journal liars that Ireland back in the day was a terribly dark place. The Irish were sexually repressed. You know, they were so old fashioned and traditional and, you know, husbands were loyal to their wives and families were very strong. But that's all very old fashioned. But the Ireland I grew up in was a decent, clean Moral place where women like me were educated by nuns who were who told us protect yourselves. That didn't mean (laughs) where you know, didn't mean go on the pill, it meant save yourself for somebody who loves you and don't throw it around. You know, be have respect for your body, have respect for your human person and your soul and your dignity. And, you know, most of my generation of girls were were reared like that by fantastic nuns who the mainstream media have done such a job on. So that, you know, that this is the saddest part, really, like pornography. Mike, when I was growing up, it was not a like it was non-existent. It was obviously had come into the States, but Ireland and to be fair to the clergy here, they stood up against it. Many pharmacists, I grew up in one, many decent Catholic chemists said no to contraception. They said, no, we, are, we do not want all this Durex in and all this filth. And brave men and women resisted it for so long. Now we are sexually liberated and look at what it has done to our country.
2: Yes, sexual liberation is a form of control. I wrote that book 25 years ago, okay, and a lot of people woke up to it in 2019. Young men who found themselves addicted to pornography—I didn't have to tell them anymore that they were slaves of their passion. They knew it from experience. But that is a general rule. It doesn't change. It doesn't change. It's the same rule all over the world. When the United States uh, conquered Iraq, uh, they uh, introduced pornography into Iraq, which was a uh, conservative, like most Muslim states, it's a conservative state that has no, no access to, it had no access to pornography. The same thing uh, I've been in Iran. The people there told me that uh, they go out and there would be a DVD on their front doorstep. And it turns out it's pornography. The same, it's the same pattern across, across the world. I- Ireland is not the exception. It's, it's the rule. It's the rule that the, 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 the the puzzling thing about Ireland is why did it change so quickly? Because I mean, up till the 80s, it was in the 80s that uh, uh, abortion is part of the constitution. As far as I know, the 80s, it was still there was no question about that uh, b- being maintained that way. Something happened like overnight in Ireland. It happened overnight. George Soros, the- George Soros. money. Well, if it's George Soros, then you can't say the Jews are irrelevant to to uh, Ireland.
1: Oh, no, I'm not saying they're irrelevant. No, no, I'm not. I I am not. I mean, I I, no one has been more outspoken than me about George Soros and, you know, how he comes in and creates these yellow revolutions. And, you know, the introduction of divorce and abortion, gay marriage, you know, Irish people would look at each other and think, Really? Did we really vote for that? I don't think we actually did vote for any of that. I believe the system was rigged. I'm not saying that, you know, there's a hardcore of liberals, you know, who believe that Ireland was incredibly repressed in the past. Um, but, but they're indoctrinated people. But genuine Irish people are repulsed by the murder of the unborn.
2: And it's they awesome. don't.
1: They know divorce is, I mean, they look at the UK. We had the experience, Mike, of the UK and the US, you know, in the eighties, we would say, wow, one in two marriages ends in the UK and that's divorce. Whereas here, you know, families were much stronger.
2: It sounds like, it sounds like a color revolution. Total. The color revolutions. uh, They perfected this over a, a, a period of years. The, the NGO is to color revolutions what the airplane was and the tank was in World War II. This is the way they invade your country, you know, and they set up these NGOs and it all seems kind of harmless. And then you suddenly realize that uh, you're being set up. You're being set up. We had a color revolution last year in the United States of America uh, to depose Donald Trump. And now we have we're living uh, in various states of lockdown, depending on local government. Local government has become very important in the United States of America now. So you have a state like Florida, which basically repealed all covid regulations. And now I just saw a story. There's a lady uh, who owns a school in Miami, and she's saying, if you got vaccinated, you cannot work in my school. That's a switch from the from the other side. So there's a a kind of geographical reaction that is going to be natural in the United States of America. But the question is, can government recover in time to take control of the people who have taken control of government? That's the big question. That was that was the genius of of George Soros and subverting uh, local government by putting prosecutors and Soros prosecutors. Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, Kim Fox in Chicago, Dana Nessel in Michigan, and Kim uh, Gardner in St. Louis. They're all beholden to Soros money. It's Soros money that put these people in power, and they are creating race war in the United States of America, largely by not prosecuting black crime. This This was the instrument that drove the Catholic ethnics out of Chicago. The black crime was not prosecuted. There were certain areas that were handed over to them, and they could engage in criminal activity with impunity. And the situation became intolerable to the people in the neighborhood, and they moved out. And when they moved out, when they, moved, when they were in Chicago, they were Irish or Polish or Lithuanian. And when they moved to the suburbs, they became white. And this is one of the main transformations that has taken place in the United States, and I've seen evidence of it taking place in Ireland. Of course, to be perfectly honest with you, I had a whole website attacking me uh, because these Irishmen thought they were white for some reason or other, and I thought I, I, they thought I was a traitor to their to the to the race by exposing the fact that this is an imposed identity that uh, is there to conquer you. As soon as you say you're white, you lose. And you're not white to begin with. You're, you're an Irishman. You have a background that has nothing to do with that. The only reason people became white is when they came to America. And a lot of the Irish came uh, early on, and they came to places like Virginia. And they had indentured service, some of whom were Irish, Scots-Irish, Scots, uh, refugees from the Jacobite Rising, people like this. And they have black chattel slaves from Africa. And they wanted to distinguish these two groups to divide the workforce so that the workforce could unite and and demand higher wages. And the way they did that was creating the word white to apply to people. First time, you can look it up in the OED, the Oxford English Dictionary. Happened in like 1615. In Virginia, there's a play about Virginia. It played on the stage in London, and that's the first time "white" got used to p- apply to people. Now you've got a situation in Europe where uh, uh, the Protestant uh, churches have evaporated uh, in Scandinavia and England, and this created a vacuum, an identity vacuum that is now being filled by the so-called white uh, nationalism, whatever whatever it's called. It's a suicide mission. It's not going to end well.
1: Well, our people are being obliterated in in the land where their ancestors spent, you know, nearly a millennium fighting to be free of, well, all of the, the various invaders that came in. And um, the Irish are now becoming a minority in nearly every Irish town. And um, this is utterly, this is genocide. This is genocide. But to say this, Mike, is to be a racist. I well, would say what they're engaged in is racism.
2: That's because they're they are the categories that are being imposed on you. They're not they're not the categories of reality. They're the categories of the mind that are being imposed on you. And the point I'd like to make to those I never talked to those guys on that website. But if you identify with as white. You're going to lose. Because as soon as you're white, you're a racist. This is the whole d- demonization that takes place with this imposition of racial categories. I saw it in, in St. Louis this summer. We had a battle over statues, kind of swept swept the world. Uh, and uh, it began in Charlottesville in 15, 2015, where the, uh, the, the white boys, now these are people who identify as being white, came to save the statue of Robert E. Lee, and they walked into a trap and they were destroyed. They were destroyed. They are still fighting legal battles that are being waged against them by Jewish lesbian lawyers like Roberta Kaplan. Okay, they're still fighting those battles. They lost because they were white. Because you're white, you're a racist. Now, the same thing happens now in 2020 in St. Louis, except that it's the statue of St. Louis, not Robert E. Lee. Well, what's that got to do with What's that got to do with anything? He lived in France in the 13th century. But they were the guy who was leading it was constantly referring to the people who were defending the statue as white supremacists. Well, if you looked at them, they were praying the rosary. Is that something white supremacists do? No. What it was was identity theft. And I'm saying because these people asserted their true identity, because I changed the narrative, and expose what was going on. That statue is still standing. So the problem here is identity theft, and the the problem with all of these European countries is they are under assault. Their culture is under assault by mass migration. You bring you bring black people in from Africa in mass numbers. The population, the native population, looks at them and says, "I guess we're white because they're black." Because that's always what happens when you have two different color populations showing up, they become a function of each other. So they automatically lose their identity because of this, uh, this racial, this invasion, which is perceived as racial without looking to the people who are behind it.
1: Yeah. I mean, but what makes Ireland different to nearly the rest of, of Europe is, you know, that we were so heavily colonised through the years, through the centuries, and we owe nothing to nobody. We went to the UK and to the US because we were forced out because of, of, you know, our colonisers. And we were impoverished as a people and we were starved out for our faith. So, but now Irish people seem to believe that they do owe Africa and the Islamic world something. And this is the saddest thing. And it's so patronizing to African people who come here and call themselves Irish. I mean, that would be like me going to Africa and saying, I'm now African and that's just it. And that's the way it's going to be. And you better not question the fact that I'm, you know, anything other than African, it's madness.
2: It's colonialism. It's it's reverse colonialism. It's and and race race is a crucial element in uh, in their arsenal. It's a crucial weapon in their arsenal. The whole race narrative has to be exposed because if it's not exposed, you're going to lose. It's that simple. As soon as soon as the Irish portray themselves as white, they're going to lose. They'll lose in the the court of public opinion and that court of public opinion will take over their mind and they will start to think of themselves as what the way their oppressors define them. Now, what prevented that in the past? It was religion. It was the Catholic faith that preserved Ireland in the past because it gave them an identity and, and it allowed them to unite, Uh, to have an identity, and it was more than an identity. There was a a certain power to that identity, a spiritual power that came with it because it was the Catholic faith. The main weapon they had was to undermine the Catholic faith, and I think the main assault began, in my opinion, with the priest crisis because Ireland, uh, I hate to quote James Joyce, but he called it a priest-ridden culture. The the priest had a special power in Ireland. And if you could discredit the priest, you were discrediting the religion. And that's what happened over this priest pedophile crisis. The same thing happened in the United States. It happened in Boston, actually. It kind of began in Boston, but it spread out there all over, all over the country where these prosecutors would go after the Catholic Catholics, after the Catholic priest. So in Philadelphia, uh, they had a big grand jury investigation. The DA at that time was a lady by the name of Lynn Abram. Okay. She was a Jew. She was not also, she was on the board of directors of the Anti-Defamation League, which is a Jewish terrorist organization. Okay. She conducted a survey, did an investigation. There's only one group she investigated for pedophilia, and that was the Catholic Church. And after years of investigation and years of uh, millions of dollars spent, she came up with uh, one indictment. But what she did was publish the names and pictures of 300 priests Who had been investigated. Well, wait a minute. That doesn't mean because someone investigated you that you're guilty. You're, you're innocent until proven guilty, unless you're a Catholic priest, in which case you're guilty until proven innocent. That was clearly a Catholic Jewish battle and no one could portray it as that. No one Catholic Church couldn't. No one did. And so as a result, it got repeated in Harrisburg. Same thing. 300 some priests are investigated. Uh, uh, they came up with three this time, or something. If you're not going to file charges, don't publish the guy's name, because oh, this is just psychological warfare. I think when this happened in Ireland, it had a much more devastating effect on the Irish people, and that was the thin end of the wedge. And then once you say that, that once you discredit the priest, then you could come in and start whispering into your ear that you're really repressed and all your problems do are a result of your Catholic upbringing and you can demonize the church and then people can act on it. Now, I don't know whether those referenda were rigged. It could be that the vote was rigged. I think that's Mm -hmm. what happened in the United States of America in this election. I think Trump won, but I think the votes were stolen by various means. The same thing could have happened uh, in Ireland. I don't know.
1: Well, I mean, Soros pumped money into the um fascist organization that is Amnesty Ireland. Um so we you know, yes. And look, I mean, I've run for I decided foolishly that I would run for election just to 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 see was it possible to break into the system. And when I tried to follow the vote, Mike, you know, after the polling stations closed, I was threatened with a, I was assaulted actually by a, a Garda. So what they do here is that they they, they they have the votes as they do in the States overnight. And it's so easy with a tiny population to just swap. And so the, there's no, I do not believe that the Irish people have been voting for these gone idiots for the last few decades the same parties the same you know gangsters that fill their own pockets and destroy people's lives destroy everything that it means to be irish i just don't believe it so yeah i you know but it's so easy to rig an election look if they can rig the elections in the united states with your huge poss- population <laughs> they've been rigging them here and referenda for decades but Mike, can we get back, though, to what's wrong with the Irish people? Because increasingly, I feel government is going to become irrelevant because it has failed us so much. And it is down to people to take individual responsibility rather than looking to, you know, leaders and Trump-like figures to save them. Talk to me a bit more about, you know, the thesis of your book, Libido Dominando, and how men in particular but women too have become really it's like a form of bestialism that they're they focus on the needs their emotional needs they're not focused on reason and logic just explain it in the way that only you can
2: yeah well the um yeah we we're talking about man's fallen human nature and uh, the, the desires, the, the fact that the reason has a, a, a tenuous hold on the passions through the will, and uh, that it's easily disrupted. I mean, we're, if you want to talk about the basic uh, s- story here, uh, Euripides' uh, play, The Bache, uh talks about it in terms of you know, hundreds of years before Christianity. You know, the, the king, the, uh, Dionysus, the god of sexual excess and intoxication, shows up. The king uh, says, captures them, says, you're my prisoner. And Dionysus said, uh, well, uh, what happened is the, uh, the women left their looms and they're dancing naked on the mountainside because that's how you worship Dionysus. So the king captures Dionysus and then Dionysus says to him, would you like to see the women dance naked on the mountainside? And he says, yes. Well, that's because everyone has this concupiscence. You have this weakness of the will. Even the king, who's the principle of order, is subverted by his own desires. So Dionysus leads him up there. The women see him, and then they they tear him apart. And that's the end of uh, the rule of order in and law in, uh, in uh, Thebes. Well, th- this is part of the patrimony of the West, and had over a period of time, uh, people understood that uh, if you follow Logos, you will have a happy life, uh, but if you, uh, sub- uh, you will be free, because this is what St. Augustine said, a man has as many masters as he has vices. Well, that's true, but you can turn that upside down. So if you want to be free, then you have to control your passions, but if you want to control people, you should unleash their passions, because then you can enslave them, and they won't even know that they're enslaved. That Explain that in concrete
1: terms. I mean, I'm thinking of a scenario. You know, we know so many men in Ireland in particular who decided, you know, oh, they were a bit bored in their marriage and oh, it was all a bit tedious and their wife was getting a bit older. And, you know, this younger model comes along and suddenly he's got two mortgages to pay and he's got a whole new family and both wives are driving him crazy. And this comes down to his inability to basically keep his trousers on and control his passions. And his life is ruined now. Right. Is that what you're talking about?
2: That's exactly what I'm talking about. So the state of the art sexual liberation after World War II in America was divorce. All of the rich and powerful wanted to have the right to divorce their wives and marry some young trophy, trophy wife uh, when they got old. Uh, and that led to all sorts of complications. And what you have was this progressive erosion of sexual morality over this period of time. And the main weapon that was used was science. And the main guy responsible for that was Alfred Kinsey, who came up with the scientific study of, uh, sexuality, the Kinsey reports. Uh, he was funded by the Rockefellers. Uh, I did research into this. One of his main assistants actually was in South Bend, Indiana, uh, and I looked uh, I looked up his uh, dossier at the Rockefeller archives, and he had to write, this was in 1942, he had to write to his draft board for uh, an exemption so he wouldn't be drafted. And he wrote in that explanation that he was working on something that was very important because it would explain how to control large masses of people. So it was there from the beginning. They knew what they were doing. They knew if you kind of lead people around by their passions, they're easy to manipulate. And that was precisely what happened. Change sexual morality from something that's God given uh, by Mo received by Moses and so on and so forth into a matter of public opinion and debate. And then they will take over because they control the media. And that's precisely what happened. One step uh, after another leading you and, uh, further and further into bondage of your own passions, but obliterating basically all of the rights that you took for granted. Because the guys who founded uh, the United States of America, they said it's a it's a democracy, it's a republic. But uh, John Adams said we have no constitution that functions in the absence of a moral people. So if you can't control yourself, how can you control a government? If you can't control yourself, you can't have a democracy, and that's precisely what we're seeing here. The more sexually liberated, if you want to use those terms, a country becomes the more tyrannical its rulers become. That's the that's the message that Ireland had to learn in the expensive school of experience. Probably, you know, it, it was much more dramatic as it happened in Ireland than it happened, and as it happened in the United States, but it happened there as well. It happened in every country, in Germany. It was even worse in a sense because Germany was a conquered nation in 1945 and they imposed the most ruthless form of social engineering ever uh, in in history on the German people. And the German people had no resistance, basically. They simply could not resist politically. The church was supposed to be the bulwark of resistance, but the church started to feel uh, uh, they had a kind of Catholic inferiority complex because they thought that, well, Kinsey's a scientist because that's what all of those magazines were saying during this period of time, that this is science and you can't argue with science. And a lot of the people in the church simply capitulated. They, they simply gave up the fight. And, and as a result, the same thing that happened to the Legion of Decency in America happened to the German organization, the Volkswartbund. And they were uh, basically uh, the church abandoned its own Legion of Decency in Germany. So once you do that, you don't become free, you become controlled. That That's the message of that book.
1: Um, that sexual
2: freedom is always a form of control.
1: For women in particular, and it started really in Ireland in the 60s, women were, you know, girls were being told career, career, career. And this was purely a means of getting the state getting its hands on their children because most women today in Ireland and the same in America across the West have no choice but to dump their infants, newborns into creches where they're getting the programming from three, four months of age. And, um, you know, women do not end, end up Raising their children. They're out in a workplace where they're not happy. They think they can have it all. That was the promise of sexual liberation, but they can't. Their place is to be with their children. And of course, I will be hated for saying that. But that is the reality. I know so many women of my generation, Mike, who are absolutely miserable because their children are ruined. They don't know who their children are because they're getting the programming in, in these schools. They don't know what's going on in the schools and the children hate them. And, you know, their children are strangers, as I say. And then they're estranged from their husbands because the family has been broken up by this form of slavery that you talk
2: about. Right. Right. It's wage slavery. When, when, when I was, I, I arrived at St. Mary's College at the high watermark of feminism, like in the late seventies. And they would say things like equal pay for equal work. Well, who can argue with equal pay for equal work? But the point here is that what it replaced was the family wage and the family wage was institutionalized, even in places like, uh, Ford Motor Company. Okay. Where you, it was clear you paid a man a wage that would allow his wife to stay home and raise the family. That was the whole principle. Uh, it was a Catholic principle. It was implemented because it was a much more effective workforce. And also you were providing a firm foundation for the next generation of workers because they're being raised by their own mothers. Okay. That was destroyed. That was destroyed by feminism. The Rockefellers were promoting feminism because the oligarchs one always want to drive down wages. That is, that is an absolute principle that they all believe in. Amazon is just the most recent example where they blocked unionization over here in the, in the United States. So if you double the workforce by adding women, you, you cut wages in half. And that's basically what happened over this period of time. So now you need two people to earn what your father earned all by himself. And that is uh, that is now covered with all sorts of rhetoric of liberation. and women are freer to no, they're free. They're free to work for crappy jobs, to put their children in daycare centers. And uh, now we're reaching a point where uh, men probably sometimes can't get work, where women can. So now we're back to the 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 the, the destructive situation that the black people found themselves in uh, in the early twentieth century, where the woman could get a job working as a, a domestic and the man couldn't work at all. That's the situation we're approaching here. We have to understand what the purpose of all of this is, and what before we can understand how to oppose it it's that simple
1: yes yes exactly exactly and then as a result of women trying to be men men have become completely emasculated mike and you know we often ask where are the men why aren't the men standing up against this tyranny why is this in ireland largely being led by women the fight back that is and um what has happened there why have men lost their manhood
2: I, I i think the you become a man when you get married uh you're sort of biologically that but in terms of accepting responsibility for other people for having a stake in in the bigger picture the 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 uh, whole forward movement of life on this earth you have to get married uh part of the whole point of pornography is to prevent men from uh, forming lasting relationships with women because it keeps them isolated and it keeps them isolated and immature and involved in pointless uh, sexual behavior that will uh, imprison turn them into uh, ghosts they are just kind of ghostly figures now i i, dealt, I, I entered this in 2019 when all those people started reading libido dominandi and they woke up to the idea that it was control. And then they had a boycott of pornography uh, in November of 2019. Okay. Those those people, uh, I, I told them what to do. I said, if you haven't been baptized, get baptized. And then you will become a member of the Catholic church. And they're actually people who followed my advice. And they write back to me and said, I followed your advice and now I'm married and I have a child. That's the solution to the problem. You have Wake up and realize that all of these promises of sexual liberation were the devil's empty promises to lead you into bondage and isolation. And if you uh, if you abandon the Catholic faith uh, for those illusions, uh, you're going to be punished. And I think Ireland is being punished. Now, this is the form of punishment. The police state that is being posed on Ireland is a direct result of their movement towards sexual liberation because that meant an abandonment of the Catholic Church, which was the only thing that was defending him. The only thing that had defended Ireland during those centuries of troubles was the Catholic Church. And if you willingly abandon that, uh, you will end up a slave. Now, this isn't just me speaking. This was Chivalta Cattolica wrote a three-part series on the Jewish question. The church actually addressed the Jewish question in the 1890s. And the, the conclusion of it was any kind—they were talking about France. This is 100 years after the French Revolution, and what do we have to show for it? And the, the conclusion was any country which turns away from the laws created by Christian princes will end up being ruled by Jews. That's what they said. That was true of France it is true of the United States. I think it's true across the board, even in places where it's not apparent. So it may be Soros. It may be Google, but ultimately that's the type of uh, hegemony that is being exerted over all of Europe right now. Germany is certainly that situation.
1: Yes, exactly. It is. So in terms of, and, and, you know, I, I do see a turn back to Catholicism in Ireland. You know, it's, it's, you can see it even just in terms of the number of people who now hang their rosary beads from their car windows. I see it in parts of, you know, very left wing Dublin and and people are coming back because they're genetically Catholic. You know, it's Catholic first, Irish second. That's the way it was in the Ireland I grew up in. We were so proud to be Catholic because we knew that it stood for such good values, the protection of life, you know. I, I, I
2: get into this racial discussion with the white boys, and I said the only difference between, between the Diocese of Würzburg and the Diocese of Mbinga in Tanzania, which was founded in 1987, the Diocese of Würzburg in 700, is a thousand years of Catholicism. I said because without Catholicism, the Germans would still be chasing pigs through the forest. Actually, the pigs are now chasing the Germans through the forest. There are videos on this, but but that that is the whole point. And they're trying to ascribe some type of mystical uh, agency to race in this story, when it was Catholicism that made Europe. It was and Catholicism
1: to wipe out our incredible, our like our history. You know, as a people. when Rome fell, it was the Irish monks on islands out in the Atlantic that preserved the sacred scriptures and the great works of Greek philosophy. It was the Irish that saved civilization then. Then we move more into more recent times. And, you know, Ireland, given its very small size, size, disproportionately has produced so many phenomenal writers in the English language and um, not all of them were, were Catholics, but it was our Christian foundation that allowed that incredible creativity in the arts, which the Irish were not anymore, because the amount of trash that is being produced out of this country. But, you know, when we were a land of artists, musicians, uh, poets, saints and scholars. I mean, the filth compared to them, what we produce now, what has got, what has happened? We turned our backs on God. as right. And said, that's, that's the right. Because that's God, right. when you look up to God, you end up with a culture that is incredibly rich and free.
2: That's right. That's right. I'm doing a book on aesthetics now. And th- that is true of Europe. It would, Italy was an enormous breakthrough in terms of the visual arts, and it was all because of Catholicism. It didn't happen in the Islamic world because you couldn't paint figures in the Islamic world. It didn't happen in in the Greek Byzantine world either. It was all because of Latin Catholicism and people like Saint Thomas Aquinas. So the, the, let's. So what you're saying is that there is a possibility uh, of change, and and maybe this is the whole point of this horror story. That is recent Irish history that you had to learn this lesson in the expensive school of experience. That you're not going to survive as a free culture if you abandon the Catholic faith. You're not going to survive. You will end up being a slave. Ireland will become a penal colony of wage slaves and sexual robots who are working for Google and pharmaceutical companies and and, and making crappy wages. Is that is that the is that is that what you want? I don't, I don't think so. There's a way out The, 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 the other side of the coin is not it's simple because you know what you abandoned and you can always repent and go back to the thing that you abandoned and God will take you back. So maybe you just had to learn this. Maybe this will go down as one type of episode of a, a failed experiment. Ireland tried to get along without Catholicism and it failed and now they came back. So that would be a happy ending to this story.
1: I think there will be a happy ending. I think there will, because, you know, most people do know their history and they they know the struggle, the struggle to defeat the forces that were trying to take down Catholicism in Ireland. But, Mike, you know, this past Good Friday, when, you know, we in the only country, I think, in the West, in the world, potentially, where mass was banned for Easter and we were down in, in a church, lovely Dominican friary. But of course, you know, they weren't allowed to hold their normal service and everything was closed down. We were driving home and, you know, in the middle of Dublin town, what is open? A sex shop. Yes. Which which only came in. They only came in really in the 80s. Like we resisted it. Every other country in Europe had them. And, you know, we resisted. It. It's really the last 20 years. And, you know, I stopped because I said, I've got to do a stream on this. I didn't put it out on Good Friday because I didn't want to in any way take away from the solemnity of that day. But I put it out a few days later and like the police passed and I was pointing at them to say, you're not closing that filth down. And they got out of their car. And, you know, I said, oh, you're you're closing down churches, but you leave this open. So it just says everything, you know, you need to know about this country and what it's become.
2: That's the perfect symbol of what what I'm talking about. That is the perfect symbol of what will happen if you abandon the Catholic faith. The religion will be banned, but the sex shop will be open. Same thing, San Francisco, uh, the mayor allowed one person per church, but there's no restrictions on bathhouses. Does, Does it take a genius to figure out what's going on here? that uh, that Pornhub is going to give you a free subscription during the COVID lockdown, but you can't go to church? Th- can anything be more obvious than that this is a way of destroying your culture using science and now crappy science, uh, a phony uh pandemic as a way of locking you down because you abandoned the Catholic faith and now you're defenseless. You're defenseless. Well, you're not defenseless if you return to the faith you abandoned because God is still there waiting for you.
1: So what and I love the story you tell Mike often on your streams about um when the apostles were out with Jesus in the boat and the storm was raging and Jesus was asleep and they were wondering what is he do what till you tell it it's so lovely the parable
2: Yeah the, well you're the uh the, the storm comes up they're on the uh, they're on the lake and the storm comes up and it's getting worse and worse and worse and uh, they're getting more and more upset. And finally they have to go. Jesus is asleep in the boat. So they wake him up and they say, don't you care that we're all going to die? And then he waves, calms the waves and he says, where is your faith? Yeah. Well, this boat is the church and the church is always going to be tossed about on stormy seas because that's what the devil does in this world. Now the, the, the problem here is. you're always tempted to jump ship when you're you're in a situation like this. uh, And the problem with that is as soon as you get out of the boat, you die immediately. So you have a choice, okay? You can jump ship and die immediately, or you can stay in the boat and weather out the storm until Christ calms the waves. Because whenever you're in times of trouble, it always seems that Christ is asleep, that he's not listening to my prayers. Why do I have to go through this? Well, that's that's what those what life in this world is life. Like it's a struggle. It's a struggle with the powers of evil. And the only way, the only chance you have to survive is to stay in that boat.
1: And it's when you embrace the struggle, I think, and to lift up your cross as Jesus wanted us to do, to be strong in the face of injustice and to speak up against it. That's what he asked us to do. Um, and, and, that is when you become much closer to him, when you when you follow that path, I think. And many Catholics, I think, are discovering that. When they follow his commandments, live by his laws, they suddenly find a happiness that they could not find in the secular materialistic
2: world. And power as well. This will be the basis. Yeah. Consciousness is always the basis of political power. You have to have consciousness first. And consciousness, and this this instance means knowing who the enemy is and understanding how he's waging war against you, because it's not, you know, guys in red coats with cannons firing at guys in blue coats and cannons. That's not the way warfare gets waged anymore. And the church needs to wake up to the facts of modern warfare, psychological warfare, biological warfare, and all of these things to deal with them effectively. It is not dealing with them effectively. Now it is not across the board. I mean, the symbol of this is uh, the Vatican having a conference on COVID and inviting Anthony Fauci to speak. This is preposterous. This is preposterous. Don't they know what's going on? No, they don't. If they knew what was going on, they wouldn't have done that. So, but but these are masons.
1: These are Freemasons. Like these people have been put in. They are not people of God. And I think
2: they're worse than, I think they're Jesuits, if you want my honest opinion. Well, I, I think they're worse, I think they're worse than Freemasons. Yes. And I think the problem is the Jesuit, the corruption of the Jesuit order in America, uh, places like America magazine, promoting homosexuality. It's a completely oligarchic institution. Uh And, you know, Jeffrey Sachs, There's he's their guy. This is awful, but they're in control. They control the Vatican right now because the Pope is a Jesuit. So, we just kind of weather this weather this storm. It's not pleasant, but I don't. There's no alternative.
1: So, your your what well, what advice would you give to people for a day on a daily basis how they can take back their freedom? Apart from obviously, the most important thing is to find their faith again and start reading right. the Bible. Start reading the Bible again and learn your rosary and say the rosary, which is the greatest weapon of prayer. Um but a lot of people will say, what, you know, they do they're to- totally detached from prayer. What would you say?
2: You have to, you have to also associate with people and you have to create channels of communication, which is what we're doing right now. We have to, you have to have the courage to speak out and give an honest account of what's really happening to you. And you have to seek these, these channels of communications out and that's they're They're more often than not local. And so you have to fight against the, the the, impos- the point of the COVID pandemic is to break up local culture, and create a, a, a nation of isolated individuals who get all of their information from some type of big, through some type of big tech firm who determines what you think. You, they have to be made aware of that. They have to show see that this is a plan, so that they know that they're being under attack, and they have to know that there's there's always a spiritual solution to these problems. So if you can get together with other people and discuss what's going on, that will be the basis of consciousness will enable eventually some type of political power to emerge from it. But it has to start with consciousness of your situation, consciousness of the big picture of the spiritual dimension of what's going on and consciousness of other people that are in the same situation, conversations with them.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, an awful lot of people now Mike, find themselves in a position where, especially if they work in, in hospitals or they're nurses, that they are being forced to take this vaccine and they feel they have no choice because they need the income or whatever. And they think by taking it is it, it is the right thing because they're protecting their families and that. But to do that, to do that is just. How would you? What would you say to people in that position?
2: I would never get the vaccine, never. And and, and at a certain point, if they start forcing, for example, there's a hospital here and there's pressure there but they they can't push farther than than uh, a certain point because first of all this vaccine has not been approved by the federal drug administration and you can't force someone to take some a medicine that's not been approved so that is that is the 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 uh the advantage that the people here have and they i'm finding that most institutions if people if you just stand up they they back down That that's that's institutions. Now, there's a bigger problem here, like with uh, the the, the state of Indiana has said, basically, all COVID restrictions have been lifted. uh, But this doesn't apply to private institutions. That's the problem right now. Private institutions are more powerful than government. And so uh, uh, you may be to say, OK, look, I'm not going to do you can't force me to do that. Well, the government can't, but they can say, well, if you want to get on the airplane, you have to show me your covid vaccination. That has got to stop. That has got to stop. The government has to take uh, make, take steps for, uh, to stop that. And it is happening here in Florida. They abolished all uh, restrictions whatsoever. And you can't force anybody to do anything there. OK, it's simply going to But that begins with consciousness. Among the people who have to have a clear sense that this is a weapon that's being used against them and they should not under any circumstances uh, accept the vaccination. You're playing with your health. You're playing with your health. And that's but not they, something
1: well, like, they're so frightened. Like, I mean, so many people come to me, I get emails, I get calls and, you know, saying, oh, I, you know, it's absolutely terrible what's going on. And, you know, like, I'm terrified to take it, but I'm being cornered. And I, I say, well, will you speak out publicly? Oh, no, 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 no.
2: So fear, just- fear is useless perfect love drives out fear the fact that if, if there's fear in ireland it's a sign that there's lack of love and the lack of love comes from the abandonment of the catholic faith that is that is the consequence when you when you absent yourself from the eucharist when you absent yourself from the source of love in this universe your life will be ruled by fear and so if you're tired of being ruled by fear, then go back to the faith and you will find that love will fill that vacuum and drive fear out. It's that simple. Absolutely. That, that, that's, that's what we have to stand up to. We have to have that courage, uh, the courage of our convictions that we can know the truth and we can act on it. We have to have that, uh, that a uh, power and it comes from God because we're weak as human beings and it's the grace that supplements our weakness and gives us the strength to go forward and that have that love drive out the fear. It's very simple. It's not as if I have to explain this. You knew it beforehand. Okay. You abandoned it. You can always go back to what you abandoned. That's what's got to happen.
1: Absolutely. There's no excuse for the Irish people. Like it's, it's, you know, it's, as I say, it's in their DNA. It's imprinted upon them. So it's, you know, please God, they will find God again and, and realize, you know, that the right path to take. Michael, you've been deplatformed like myself. How do people find you and, and buy your books, which are uh, a revelation?
2: Yes. Uh, go to culturewars.com fidelitypress.org all of my books are available there the second edition of the jewish revolutionary spirit has just come arrived, arrives tomorrow from the printer we'll be selling copies from the website uh 600 pages of new material uh three what, volumes in
1: general what's the, the main angle uh where do the, we begin <laughs> what you've just been talking about for the yes. last hour. we
2: should have started there at the beginning but yeah. <laughs> uh, if you reject logos, the Jews when they rejected Logos became revolutionaries and that's what they've been ever since and if you reject Logos you will become a slave to their revolutionary movement that's the just define logos. for those who
1: don't know just define define it to, to those listeners that may not know what that means
2: Logos is the Greek word for reason We are rational creatures. The first manifestation of logos is speech. We are talking to each other. We're we're looking at images that don't (laughs) images there, and we're talking a thousand miles apart, and we're making uh, our minds are meeting. the The thing that allows our minds to meet is logos. It's that rationality. That is the basis of what we are. And if you reject that, you become an animal because animals don't have it. And if you become an animal, you're ruled by your passions. The group, the 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 the, the Jews at the time of Christ had to decide whether they're going to accept their Messiah uh, on his terms or or, or have him meet their terms. The Jews who accepted Christ are now called Christians. The Catholic Church. The Jews who rejected him rejected the Logos incarnate. That's the way he was described. If you reject the Logos incarnate, you're rejecting the order of the universe. If you reject the order of the universe, you become a revolutionary. And that's what the Jews became when they chose Barabbas over Jesus Christ. And that's what they have been ever since. And revolutionaries like this love to overthrow the social order. It makes them feel good when they can wreck the social order. And that is precisely what they did in Ireland. They wrecked your culture. And now the question is, are the Irish people going to wake up to that fact and do something about it? And I think uh, reading the Jewish revolutionary spirit would help give them the big picture, because this is the big picture of history. It's a conflict between logos and anti-logos from the beginning all the way to the end.
1: Well, I, I think you're you know, you are being fully vindicated on your views because we we look at Israel, the, the state that was supposedly set up to protect the Jewish people And no people bar the Irish are being treated as despicably by their own leaders than the Jewish people. I mean, Israel is in a league of its own when it comes to this dictatorship. Yes. So that's vindication for you. They never cared about their own people.
2: Thank you. It is vindication because there are many Jews who wake up to that fact. Israel Shamir is one of them. Woke up to the fact that he was just a little Jew being pushed around on a chessboard by big Jews during the 1973 war. So a lot of, it's not that, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, a lot of Jews are waking up to this fact. A lot of Jews have converted as a result of reading the Jewish revolutionary spirit. Uh, And that's my mission in life. Okay. That's, that's the point here. Okay. That's the point of that book. No matter what the, the, the ADL is afraid because they know how effective it is. I'd like to go back to that movie about Michael Collins, where Michael Collins is walking along the road, and suddenly he grabs the guy who's the spy. His guy has been spying on him, and the guy he says to him, he's ready to punch him. And the guy says, "No, no, yeah. you converted me." So this man had been listening to his, all his speeches, and he suddenly realized he was right. That's that's what's going to happen to the Jews. They're, they don't know how to refute the Jewish revolutionary spirit. They're trying to ban it, but it's not going to work. And they're they're this, the Jews who understand. But the point of Logos are now converting because of it.
1: Well, well done, because that's what Jesus asked us to do, to go forth and spread his word. And that's what we have to do, be it among Jewish, atheists, Muslims, Buddhists, whoever, because uh, it is the only way to live, in my opinion.
2: I agree with you.
1: It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been so fast talking to you. It feels just like five minutes, but I hope you will come on again. soon.
2: I'd love to. I'd love to come on. Thank you for everything
1: you're doing. And, you know, I love the way that you just it's not about popularity, but even though you are hugely loved and admired and supported, but you say it as it is. And, you know, to hell with the haters. So thank thank
2: you. you. Thank you, Gemma. My pleasure.
1: We'll talk again very soon, please God. Yes, I hope so. Okay, take care, God bless.
2: Bye-bye.